Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. I hope this finds you so very well. I'm speaking to you from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey. Absolutely delighted to have this opportunity to introduce all of you to composer and lyricist Perqua, a remarkable worldwide icon and a profound healer of women who has been touring the globe since 1997. Perqua's life has been filled with fascinating and transformative experiences of grief to healing to rebirth. The first experience that began to shape her unique character and gifts occurred when she was three. Her father drowned in a fishing accident, and her motto became, love and live now as the future may never come. Another transformative experience occurred when she was 11 in the form of major experimental surgery. Both of her legs were cut above her kneecaps and then reattached in a botched surgery designed to cure a genetic hip rotation. Despite the pain and extreme peer rejection, this strengthened her will for life and love and firmed her commitment to overcome any issues that life was to throw her way. At 18, Paraqua rejected her mother's pressure to become a psychologist and honored her dreams to become a jazz vocalist. By 23, she was a bright star on the Australian jazz scene, but felt somehow unfulfilled and through a profound transcendental experience, she found intuitive singing, which spurred people to call her the voice of Mother Earth. She later spent 11 years as an apprentice and one of seven wives to a Native American medicine man in the mountain deserts of New Mexico, where she received a vision that revealed that her healing voice and profound wisdom would one day inspire millions of people to fall back into love and return to harmony and balance. Incredibly, she united all the wives in a circle of trust and together in a powerful healing ceremony, they healed him from bone cancer, saving his life. After that healing ceremony, a new craft and even more unique skills opened up inside of Paraqua. In 1999, Paraqua went through yet another near-death experience when after 40 years of, 40 hours, pardon me, 40 hours of excruciating labor, she delivered her only daughter. She later moved to New Zealand and committed to a new partner who was an awakened tantric master, and she became inspired to create a new set of practices for women to open up to their sensual nature. And of course, there is more. I'm looking forward to talking with Paraqua about many things, including her profound transcendental experience, 
Her experience saving the Native American medicine man and the unique skills that opened inside her, her near-death experiences, her second partner who was an awakened tantric master, her exploration of women's sensuality and inner essence, her unique high-low overtone singing, and her courses and events that are freeing women from emotional trauma, self-doubt, anxiety, limitations, and more. This will surely be a memorable interview with a remarkable woman that is not to be missed. Hi, Perqua. A warm welcome to Grief and Rebirth podcast. Thank you. Very, very happy to be with you. Thank you for that very big introduction. <laughs> well, you are a very big person. I mean, I received a dossier about you and I was like, oh my goodness gracious, how do I get this all to everyone listening to the podcast so they, they can know the fullness of all of who you are. You're, you're so impressive and certainly very colorful. <laughs> it's, it's going to be fun to interview you. So yeah. let's you really, truly. So let's begin with this question as I get everyone in our Grief and Rebirth podcast audience to get to know you. Mm -hmm. How did that major experimental surgery come about when you were a mere 11 years old? What was all that cruel peer rejection about? And what transpired inside and outside of you to transform you in such a positive way and strengthen your will for life? That's the thing I found after I was researching you, Paraqua. I mean, no matter what has happened to you, and some of these things have been very traumatic, you seem to go towards the positive. So I think a lot of people can learn from that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. When uh, I was a, a young child, um, it, it's a genetic hip condition that my mother passed on from my grandmother, etc. So it was, it was known that there was a possibility that it could be any of my mother's four children, right? And um, as you mentioned, my father died when I was three. And normally, by the age of three, they've already treated this condition. So you can imagine the hips are rolled in. So what they used to do was put you in these calipers as a baby and uh, open the hips by uh, casting the feet, you know. Mm -hmm. But because of my father's death, you know, all focused because it was a, a radical disappearance in that he went out to sea and he never came back and he had a crew of four men with him. So it was like a, a radical disappearance. And you can imagine as a mother, you know, you're just trying to cope with the grief of suddenly your man who you love is there and he's gone, you know? So your focus isn't necessarily on your children other than we've got to get through this, we've got to survive, you know? Right. And, and uh, so, my mother missed the window of growth where they could have changed this condition by a more simple procedure. But uh, the doctor said, okay, we've missed the windows. So we have to wait until she's older, until the bones get to a certain point at 11. And at that stage, we will take the hips out of the joints and reset them in the joints. And it'll be about a one year procedure. Now, all my childhood, I walked what the condition made me do it was a very aesthetic condition i walk like a duck you know so my hips rolled like a sexy woman my feet but my feet were turned in like a duck you know so all my childhood i was teased so they said to me just before my 11th birthday you know 
we have this new procedure, it's an experiment, and we'd like to try it on you. And instead of taking the hips out of the joints and resetting them outwards in the joints, we're gonna cut you above the knees and take the bottom part of the leg above the knee, turn it around and then put pins in and regrow it. And you'll only be in cast for three months this way. And I said, okay, I'm up for it, you know, because a year in cast seemed absolutely traumatic. And I have to ask you before you go on, how did you handle that peer rejection? I mean, that's devastating for a little kid when people are making so much fun of them. Yeah, definitely. It was really, really hard. I think that it very much, um, I had this quality, you know, as a young woman of being on the one hand, somebody who could uh, be a leader, you know, and on the other hand, I was highly introverted. And this made me very introverted. Like I took the energy from these children and I took it inside of myself. And it somehow, maybe I was an old soul, but it somehow matured me because I could see the cruelty of it. It was as though I was always outside of myself watching the cruelty of it, you know? And I went, this is not correct. I knew it was not correct. That's a but very mature way to approach it at such a young age. Really. And, and sometimes I would cry, you know, because I would feel like I was always left to last for any kind of team sports or anything. But mostly I took the position was that people just didn't understand what I was going through. And my salvation was going to be the surgery. And I thought, then I'll be like them. After this, I'll be like them. But that surgery changed me so much. So that maturity uh, actually only grew in me from that suffering because the next thing they did as a rehabilitation process was they put me in a special kind of rehabilitation center, which was full of only kids who couldn't walk, couldn't talk, couldn't eat. You know, they were basically fully disabled kids. And I went from this position of, a normal person to suddenly being totally surrounded by kids who would never walk again, right? So my sense of normalness suddenly went up so high because I knew I would walk again and these kids would not, right? And the level of compassion that opened inside of me, I was so lonely in this time, in this few months in the center, my mother couldn't be with me, that's a whole nother story. But I went through this very much alone, but somehow it ripened this sense of compassion. And you know, I, I even thought, wow, I could help my own school children understand how lucky they are, because that's what it, it opened up in me. I am so lucky because I am gonna walk again and these kids are not, you know? And uh, so I arranged a special outing to take these kids to my school whilst I was still in cars. Oh, I love this story. And I, so I, I was like, I went to school, I'm in crutches now, I'm in cars and, uh, and I've got these kids with these wheelchairs, you know? And the kids at school freaked out. They were terrified. And then after they left, they just completely um, criticized and was so mean. Oh and my. It, yeah, it, because it scared them. You know, they were just 10, 11 years old. It scared them because they didn't understand why people were like this and just, mm -hmm. you know, with not holding them up and things. They couldn't understand what to do. So 
what it taught me back then was that when people don't understand something, they create a negative um, kind of fearful uh, response as a protection for themselves, right? And when I saw that, I, I, it was like it turned me from being a child to an adult. And I felt so incredibly sad for people that this was their response this to fear, to the unknown, you know? And I thought to myself, I will never, ever live that way, you know? But that and, was such a higher consciousness, Paraqua, because you not only were feeling compassion for these children, but you're yeah. feeling compassion for the kids who were being mean. You were understanding them on a different level. Yeah, definitely. It was, it was like that. And so when I came out of that surgery, I was no longer a kid at all. And uh, at the same time, my mother was going through a very violent uh, marriage breakup with a man who was almost psychopathic. So I was also like trying to hold her as well through the whole experience. My goodness. You know? Yeah, so it was a really transformative time in my life. And I never went back to, to thinking like a child after that, you know, it was like, I suddenly became this person that knew I had to find this strength to get through, to get myself walking again, to get myself strong again. And that, that's what really grew that will because I was so lonely through the whole period. Oh my goodness, but yes. Time, I knew I could only rely on myself and of course that on a positive level that was great right because it built this incredible inner resource but on the other side it built this hyper in independence you know this like this strength that kind of almost start to push people away you know so it had a negative effect eventually that I had to transform as well you certainly did because you don't do that anymore you people are are coming towards you in droves <laughs> um that's an amazing story um I I want to also ask you because I know you're originally jazz trained later integrating I mean you're so gifted later integrating Native American, Indian, classical, Middle Eastern, and electronic flavors to your ear-watering blend. So you had a profound transcendental experience through which you found your intuitive singing. And this spurred people to call you the voice of Mother Earth. Obviously, they were no longer as intimidated if they're, if they're calling you the voice of Mother Earth. So you want to tell us that story also? Well, I mean, you've skipped about a lot of years there and a big, big transformation there also where I really had to stand for myself even to follow that gift. It wasn't like, oh, I had the gift and it was easy. No, my mother just completely stood in my way the whole time until, until I was about 17 when I left her wing. And... Uh, I ended up basically going to conservatorium, which was a miracle because I didn't have any training to get in there and uh, ended up doing a jazz degree. And that's how I became, you know, the jazz vocalist. And by the time, but I'd had this, when I was 17, I had this small, I would say it's my first kind of small awakening, you know, and I was living with a woman who was a musician at the time, so I'd left my mother's wing. 
And this gift was just in baby stages of waking up. I didn't trust it yet at all. So I was just doing my first singing classes at the age of 17. And she said to me, you know, Paraguay, if you could sing, if there was no limit, why don't you just write down on a piece of paper, who would you sing for and why would you sing? And I did that. And this is a great advice, I think, to any parent, you know, to if, if you could say to your children, if you love that thing, what would you do with it if there was no limitations on you, you know? And I said on this piece of paper, if, if I could sing, I would sing for millions of people and I would sing not just to entertain them, not just to uh, sing emotional songs, but to actually sing to help to heal them. That was 17. By the time I was 23, I'd almost, I kind of was losing that fabric, that, that roots, you know, that dream. And I had fallen prey to that uh, world of success, you know, that very ambitious kind of- But I think when you were still so fresh and naive in some ways and clear, I think you got a, a, a real vision of your sole purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what's amazing was at that time in my life, I had one of the best guides around me was my auntie and she was a psychic. And she was the one that gave me the vision about my life. She received a vision about what was going to come in my life just on my 18th birthday. And this was a phenom phenomenal anger because it held me. And we were doing, it was back in the nineties, you know, so early nineties. So uh, I know, sorry, late 80s. It was back in the late 80s. New Age movement was just budding, you know. We were doing a lot of channelings and going to healing and Reiki sessions and all of this kind of stuff. And back then, psychics said to me, oh, you will fulfill your life purpose this time. Your ancestors have been doing this forever, but they've never fulfilled this kind of mission. And it's, it's yours to fulfill it this time, you know. So imagine it. At 18, that was kind of my, my uh, compass. So by the time I was 20, I'd lost that compass because I'd fallen prey to a very much a young woman's longing, and that is to be loved, to be seen, to be admired, to be sexy, you know, and all of those kind of things, you know. And it created an incredible emotional roller coaster in me, especially coming on and off stage, drinking a little oh, bit, you know. Of course. You know, the jazz scene, it's like clubs, men, all of that stuff. But my soul knew something deeper and it created immense tension inside of me. And so often I would come off stage or the next day and I'd hit the low, that kind of dopamine low, like I'm just completely doubting my life, myself and everything. And this one particular moment, I went to the ocean because I lived right on the ocean in Sydney, Australia, on Bondi Beach. It's a very famous beach next to an amazing powerful rocks uh, called the Bronte rocks. There's a big walk around this uh, rocks, very high up over this powerful Pacific ocean, you know? And I went there and I got to this certain point, I was right in front of a graveyard. And I thought to myself, I could jump, you know? Like nothing makes sense to me anymore, I could jump. And I called out to the mother because I had this connection to the ocean. You know, imagine my father had been taken by the ocean. 
you know, but I'd lived by it all my life by this stage. And I cried out to her as, the, as though she was so alive and so present in this wind and these slapping waves against these big mountainous uh, rocks. And I said to her, mother, I'm so lost. I've lost my way. I don't even know what I'm doing here anymore. You know, please help me. And it was as though the elements just came and spun around me, like the wind woo, and uh, the waves and the mist of the ocean. I suddenly felt this energy pulling me down inside. And I started to emulate the sound I was hearing with my voice. Now I'm a jazz singer, so I don't think about emulating the wind. I think about scales and songs and everything logical, you know, still by this stage. And uh, I start to emulate this wind. And, and two hours went by as I, it was as though nature had just come up and taken me over in a sense. And this immense peace came over me. Immense, like all those feelings of death and I'm nothing and I'm hopeless, you know, they fell away, just totally fell away. And that was just the beginning, the opening of the door. So I went to this place every day for two weeks. And after about two weeks, I had the deepest experience where it's as though I just fell down, like my body just dissolved and my head was prostrated, you know, like my head was right down on the earth, you know. And my, my head just dissolved into the earth. And I felt this enormous love just rise through my body and at the same time pouring down into the earth. And I had this, it was like a voice, you know, uh, you spoke to me earlier about your experience. It was like a voice, but this was a very, it was not human, you know, just something very vast and big and feminine of nature. Mm. And voice said to me, you know, it was as though she came and my whole body started to become vibration. I understood she was this living presence vibrating through everything on the planet. Every car, every piece of machinery, every human being, every animal, this ocean, this wind, everything that I could hear was her voice vibrating as life, you know, with such a love with such a profound and enormous love. And, and for the first time, I felt completely unalone, you know? This feeling of total being held by this mother force, this mother power, so unconditional. It sounds and like said, you turned into the, the, to the collective consciousness, the, the, well, all that is. Yes, and but it was so profoundly feminine, you know. Oh, that's so interesting. And uh, and I said to her, Mother, if there's any way I can sing for you to be able to open up this, it was like my whole soul and my body is being rerouted to the earth, you know. And if I can sing this vibration of yours into people consciously through their body they too would know about this profound love, you know, and this profound um, holding, you know, the sense of the body is totally sacred, you know, and life is totally um, here and death is here. I could feel the presence of death at the same time, mm. you know, 
And so I said, I promise you, Miley, if you wake this gift in me even more, I will sing to wake this gift in other people. Well, I had no idea how I was going to do it. And I was talking to different people that I knew, some Aboriginal people. Nobody wanted to teach me, you know. And then within two weeks, my crazy auntie rang me, the psychic from the other side of the country. She said, you have to go to this festival because there's going to be a Native American medicine man. He's touring from states in Australia. So go to this place at this time and you will meet him. And that's what I did. And I mean, she's she amazing, your aunt, by the way. I mean, like for her to, to know about all of this and give you these messages, what a gift for you. Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, she was the black sheep of the family. Everybody thought she was crazy, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I went to this festival and I hear this voice as I come into this huge conference center. Yo, 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 you know, and I hear this voice and I'm following this voice like a trance. And there's this big fat Native American long hair who's fully dressed in leathers and beaded, you know, breastplates and feathers. And, and my whole body is in goosebumps. And when he finishes his performance, he gets off the stage and I wait for him. And he's surrounded by a lot of women because he's very charismatic. And I look at this and I think, hmm, okay, he's a, maybe a ladies' man, you know. <laughs> but I wait. And I go and talk to him and I say, oh, you know, I'm a singer and I just had this amazing experience. And I, I think your people have this, you have some sort of secret to help me understand my gift more, you know. And he looks at me and he says, little lady, he says, if you come with me tomorrow, I'll let you get on my stage and you can sing with me. Whoa. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. The next day came and uh, I was late and I was trying to sabotage myself. So I thought he won't see me if I'm in the back of the audience, but I'll get to hear him again. But he spotted me and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to show you that no matter whether you have a voice or you can sing, if your heart beats, you've got rhythm, you know. This little lady's gonna get to the stage and she's gonna show you that you can sing. Of course, nobody knew I was a jazz trained singer, you know. <laughs> yeah, and he did not either though, did he? He knew nothing he knew, about you. Didn't know I was a jazz singer, but I had sung something for him when I met him. And um, so he called me to the stage, I got on the stage and the next bit, he got 10 people on the stage with native drums, just from the audience, you know, just showed them a heartbeat, you know, and I had an Aboriginal dig playing right down on the floor next to me, you know, and these pulsing started, I, I was terrified, I was shaking, you know, and my feet just kind of went down into the earth and suddenly this energy started to rise up through me. And this voice that I had touched by the ocean came up and I started to sing nothing that made any sense to my mind. It wasn't lyrical at all. Wow. But I started to sing. Oh, I, I don't know what I sang, but it was just like this feelingness. And then he started to sing under me. And this small audience turned into a sea of people when I opened up my eyes and we finished, you know. 
And at the end, he just hugged me, grabbed me like a bear. And he said, little lady, we have many roads to travel, many people to meet, you know. And of course that was, that was terrifying because um, I knew that my life was about to end at that point. <laughs> Everything that I knew, and of course, that's what he demanded. You know, when you or sometimes when you go through these incredible transformational experiences, there's a part of you that knows your life's about to end as it is, and you want to run, right? <laughs> you yes. want to say no. You want to say no, no, this is too much. My life is safer. And, and plus, you have all the dictates and all the voices of all the people, like your family who thought your aunt was crazy and all, and you have all these people in your life going are you crazy? No, 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 no. And something inside of you is so strong about yes, 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 yes. Right? Absolutely. absolutely. And for me, it was difficult because all my musicians were saying you're out of your mind because this is what he said to me. He said, you know, if you come and be with me and be that apprentice, you're also going to need to be one of my wives. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he said, so will you marry me? And I said, Absolutely. Like, crazy. I'm not going to marry you. He said, and my vision is that all of those wives will carry one child. And those, those will be kind of special children. I said, you're out of your mind. Like, there's no way I'm going to, you know, come and do that. But I'll come and be your apprentice. And he said, you could come and be my apprentice. He said, but you'll end up being my wife. You'll see. <laughs> so I thought, as my young woman, very willful, you know, I'll just bargain and I'll do it my way, right? That's what I thought. So I, I went. And you were how old him. now? You were how old now, Perkwine? 24. 24. And he was how old? He was 50. Okay. <laughs> and by the way, he said to me, I already have three wives back in New Mexico, in America, in the desert, and two of them are pregnant. And so <laughs> it, was, it was another moment for me of life and death. And I remember leaving his house that night, feeling like I had no choice. It was the weirdest feeling in my life. I had no choice. I was driving the car, it was three in the morning, and I thought I could drive this car off the road. You know, that's what I should do. I should just drive this car off the road. But something inside of me said, no, stay on the road. And I remember ringing him saying, I don't want anything to do with this, you know? And he said, okay, I understand. It's a lot, you know, <laughs> it's a lot to, for your mind to cope with. But a week later, I contacted him again. And about a month later, I ended up on tour with him in Australia. And then I was, before I knew it, I was in the desert in New Mexico, 2000 meters in the high desert, you know, Apache desert country. And, and you um, were in love, you fell in love with him. And I, I was totally in love. That was the other thing when I met him, you know, there's this destiny of the soul. It was as though I hadn't always known this man. I knew his strengths. I knew his weaknesses. I knew his biases. I knew everything about him. But at the same time, he carried this enormous mystery, you know, to me, because he had this knowledge, you know, that was that vein into the earth in a way, that ancient quality. Now, what this man did for me was instead of just giving me something, teaching me more about this. He basically just put me out in the desert in ceremonies and things. And he said, go learn yourself. He said, go and learn from the mother earth yourself. He said, because if it's not directly from the source, 
then you were just mimicking me. And that was really, really hard because I had all the Western women's doubts on me, mm-hmm. fear, not to mention the healthy ego I had gathered by this stage that needed undoing, you know, not to mention the level of jealousy. And uh, I had nobody who recognized me as anything anymore. I was no longer this, you know, the jazz singer. I was nothing. I just went into a new world. My old world died and I was nothing to these women. And they were jealous of me as well. And I was, because you know what it's like when you're a pregnant woman, and you see a young, egoic kind of sexy woman, you're like, get over yourself, you know? And they're not nice about it. It's like, just get over yourself. And that's how I felt, thinking that I would arrive into this world and I'll be welcomed as a sister, you know? And it wasn't like that at all. They were not, um, you were unwelcomed. <laughs> unwelcomed. I want to ask you a very pedantic question because I think that some of our listeners are wondering, what does a medicine man do? Okay, no, it's Let's very- Let's ask about that. And then I really want to know how you united these seven jealous competing wives. I mean, that's that's incredible as it is. And then we yeah. can go to the healing ceremony. And then I mean, you're, 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 you're fascinating. <laughs> you're such a fascinating. Well, I mean, you know, a medicine man basically is somebody who normally comes from a long lineage of uh, medicine people and the medicine people are people who carry ancient knowledge they normally carry very powerful gifts for healing um, maybe herbal knowledge or it might be some power that they carry through the line and it gets passed on from uh, down through the ancestry and um, their responsibility is to then teach other people how to heal themselves you know how to how to be connected to the earth because it's Native American medicine, right? This is Native American healing pathway. It's the path of life, of restoring that healthy connection to life, right? And uh, so his particular flavor, because everybody has different gifts, you know, some people are psychic, uh, some people are healers. His particular gift was that he was a powerful man of ceremony. So he would take people into the healing ceremony, which is known as the uh, sweat lodge ceremony in America. And uh, he would help restore people, their connection to the soul, right? And sometimes physical healings would happen in the body, Um, but he would also work very deeply with the soul. He was an exorcist. So he took demons out of people. And actually that was what he did with me on my second date. He invited me to an exorcism to support him in an exorcism. And I've never, ever been more terrified, I think, (laughs) (laughs) than what man take two demons out of of one man. And- um, Now demons are negative thought forms? Is that- that, So a demon, basically, you know, I mean, the world is not the world as we know it, right? We think there's just human. Maybe we think there's extraterrestrial. We definitely know that there's souls that are out of the body that were here. Maybe souls that have not been fully here, but or have been here and, you know, are still in the ether. It's a multi-level, you know, there's angels, archangels. There's a whole hierarchies, you know, in the world that we don't see with our eyes necessarily. And... Um, the demon world is a world where there could have been angels, there could be particular souls, but 
they normally have become disconnected from that original source of love. So there's a split. There's a split and uh, they are normally following an, an agenda to take life for themselves. So they can come into a human being and basically take over the human being's life. But the human being doesn't know that they're there. This is a story known throughout history, right? But if they really take over, they make a total mess of that person's life normally, you know, and they don't do good things because they're, remember, they're disconnected from that wholesome fabric of love, of uni unity, of oneness, etc. So they normally have their own agenda. So they don't have a right to be in that person's body and to, to take over the soul. But normally the person has had a really low, low point in their life or they've fallen in love with something like fame or money. And they say, if I could have that thing, I would give anything for that, oh, right? right? This is a classic story, you know? It's like an invitation to enter. Exactly, or they say, I don't wanna be here anymore. I don't wanna live anymore, you know? That's also a down point where the soul is so, the person is, doesn't want to be in the life anymore at all. And that's also an invitation. So imagine I'm with a man who is about giving people their connection between the soul and the body back to themselves. You know, this is very deep work. It's very rare work on the planet. And um, so I had a lot of exposure to this, this kind of worlds that most people do not participate. Very eye-opening. Very, very eye-opening. When I was 24, my world was shattered. And uh, so this is a part of the path of this particular medicine man. He also uh, carried, his genetic memory was totally awake. So his memory went back about 200,000 years. Now that was interesting for me because, and all of his wives, because we were regressed through ceremonies and through research actually of ancient texts to what has happened on the planet. You know, who's who in the, in the hierarchies and why is the planet? the way it is today, you know? So there was a lot of that kind of depth of study. And, um, but for me, it was my focus was very much about, but how does the voice help restore somebody's body when they're sick? How does the voice help restore that connection to the soul when the soul, you know, that, that uh, alignment gets very thin, very weak, you know? and the connection no longer communicating well. How do you restore someone to back to that wholeness where the, the soul and the body are flowing, you know, totally in communion and communication, you know, in health, in harmony. And, uh, and I think the thing that really amplified that quest for me was my, he became my husband, obviously. And, uh, at one point where I was about, I think four years into the marriage, he got very sick with a bone cancer. And- uh, Which is I was interesting in because he's healing all these other people and something Correct. struck him. Correct, yes, because that is one of the great challenges for healers is when they work a lot with a lot of people, they really have to be, treat their body like a temple like totally like a temple, or they're gonna get in trouble themselves. Now he was arrogant 
and he didn't treat his body as a temple. He was very into hamburgers and smoking camel cigarettes and all that kind of stuff. But I was constantly pressing on him, like, like saying, come on, your body's a temple, you know? And I was vegetarian at the time, was that kind of very, had to say, very new age, bright kind of vegetarian, you know? So I was always teased, you know, in the family for being the vegetarian. But, and, and not that I'm a vegetarian advocate anymore, but what the point was that I was very much about wanting to heal my body because imagine this surgery had left me with a lot of pain, you know? It wasn't successful in the sense that I was left with chronic sciatica, um, you know, from about the age of 18. So I, I was limping a lot, you know, especially around my menstrual cycle. Uh, when, when my hormonal system was very active or very actually at the low point in the cycle, I would go into chronically inflamed hips, you know, and I'd be limping like an old woman, you know. And so I was at this stage, that was part of that driving force. You know, how do I heal myself? It was a lot about self-healing, you know. And um, so through Did he his, help uh, you to heal that? Did he, did he help you? He did in the sense that he, I did so much ceremony. I got to a certain point where I wasn't fully healing and I was very frustrated about it. Very, very frustrated. I'd say I had unloaded a lot of emotional garbage by this stage and I was becoming more and more myself. You know, a lot of that ego dropped away. And right. A lot of the pain that I had carried from my past had was starting to fall away over these years um but i had not really reached that point where i was comfortable yet my body was still in a lot of pain and uh, at one point he called me all the wives together because i was out in australia and i was coming back and forward to a healing ceremony and he said you know basically you women need to heal me <laughs> and you're going to be given the tools to do it you know, but before I, we get to that, were you talking with them? Were you all in peace with all these women yet? Or had you, I mean, I just, you got together to help him heal, but you were, you also brought peace to the group. Did that happen through the healing or before that healing took place? I mean, in truth, I wouldn't say that I brought peace to the group. I would say that our inquiry, our day by day living together, mothering together, um, consciously having to navigate through this jealousy and who's more special, who's more gifted, you know, all that kind of human stuff. We had to learn how to be totally honest, totally vulnerable, you know, not hide and uh, talk behind each other's back. So we, we use this very special method, which is the talking circle method, uh, the talking stick method. And we uncovered a lot of uh, the ugliness that we carried inside towards ourselves, towards each other. And, um, and we use ceremonies to do that as well. And we came to some kind of a balance point in that. But when that uh, call for healing was, was made and we came together, um, it was like a wake up call you're not deep enough. You need to go deeper, you know? If you really want to access the power of the earth, the universe, you know, you're going to have to go deeper. 
And so we use the preparation for this healing ceremony actually to clean out even more of our own uh, subtle things that kept us from this original flow of love. Mm. You know, it's amazing how people can have transcendental experiences, right? And they experience the whole universe, they experience so much love. But when it comes to living in relationship, that, excuse me for being blunt, but that's when the shit happens. <laughs> that's where it all falls to pieces. Suddenly your transcendental oneness, you know, can well, all fall. That, but look at how you were all focused around this one man. Yeah. He, and he, I mean, each one of them felt special to him because he wanted to marry them. So th there was a natural, but now you're sharing it with him. And who does he go to tonight or whatever, however that worked out? That had to be all kinds of issues like exactly. that. Exactly, you're exactly right. Very well spotted. And uh, so when this healing ceremony came about, uh, these very powerful songs um, were given. I, I remembered some of them, um, ancient songs of healing. And I think each one of us had to come to that place of total love for each other, for this man, to be able to access the depth. And what it taught me um, was that when women are divided, we're very weak, right? But when women are unified in their love, we have the access to the greatest healing power that there is. This power of this planet is unbelievable, you know? And we have a doorway, and that doorway actually is our sexual energy, our sexuality. And we are actually built to experience the flow, that very beautiful, passionate life force that rises from the planet. Our bodies are designed to actually experience it so that it rises up through our feet, through our vagina, through our yoni. I call it yoni. That's the old Sanskrit word uh, for vagina. Uh, up through the womb, up through the heart, through the breast, through up and through the mind, up through to the soul. It's a flow, you know. And uh, I had to learn how to switch that on with the voice and with the women, you know, with the breathing, with ceremony and going into trance states. And basically what happened was that energy unified in one moment, this enormous ecstatic energy rose up and we were able to cure him of this. Uh, That's amazing. In, in this sweat lodge ceremony. So we were inside what would created was a womb like was he there in the ceremony as you were working on him he was in the ceremony as wow. we were work, working on him and uh, for me it was profound because in a way it became the basis of my realization not my realization in a way but it's the realization the power that woman carries in her body to heal you know, and that her sexuality is actually instrumental in healing. This sexual energy doesn't mean just not talking about penetration, but the rising flow of this sexual energy through the body is the most healing power that we actually carry when it's unified, you know, when it's conscious, when it's bright and flowing in waves up through the body. So, I ended up creating a whole um, practice out of this uh, after this and um, using the voice. And eventually I started touring 
and uh, going around the planet. Um, first, I was in Europe, England, etc. I worked on that side of the world. And I would take um, originally men and women, but then I turned towards more women into these kind of chanting healing uh, ceremonies that I've created. And, um, and then eventually something happened where it was very clear for me that I was done with this man. It was that point of the next death in a sense, like- Well, you feel a shift. You feel a shift, yeah. right? And it doesn't make sense to your mind and it's very uncomfortable because you're gonna lose your safety net again, you know? And you're gonna be alone again, you know, says the mind. <laughs> and it was 11 years after, you know, being with this man, 11 years. And I finally said, I have to go. And he understood, which I, I was very grateful for and gave me his blessings, you know, and I'd had his child even by this stage. And I have to go because this is no longer true for me to be in this, living like this and anymore. You didn't have a problem that you would take his, your child together with you? No, he didn't. Uh, he knew because our love was strong enough in the eternal that he knew that I would always return this child to him, you know? And that is what happened. Every year she went and spent summertime in two or three months you know, with him and the other wives. So that he was not afraid of that. He trusted, there was a bond of love that was so deep that there was a trust there in that and a respect. And he could see that it was time for me to go. I think he didn't want me to go and he didn't like but that. He knew. But he knew. But he knew. But he knew. And I was about one year alone and I, I got very, very sick. This is the other thing that happened for me after leaving. I got terribly, terribly ill, and uh, as did my daughter. So we fought for our lives for like about a year. We had. How old was she at this time? How old was your daughter? Two years old at this time. And she got and so sick along with you? Wow. We had a black fungus on the roof of our home at the time. And this black fungus went into our lungs. And uh, we were just constantly, constantly sick. And I just had energies attacking me all the time, sucking at my life force, you know? And it was a very powerful time for me because I felt like I was fighting for my life, you know? And I was, I turned to this because prayer was a big part of my life at that time, you know? Um, I carried this uh, pipe. It was a medicine pipe, which is a, a very long, um, like a smoking pipe. And I did a lot of prayer at that time because to carry that pipe meant that you had taken on the responsibility to pray for humanity, for the planet, etc. And at this time, um, I was outside of that family, completely alone in a way. And uh, so I was doing a lot of prayer. And I remember praying for my love to come into my life, my next man to come into my life who could truly, truly see me, you know, like, because I was so open by this stage as a woman, you know, um, and I, I prayed for this man to come into my life. Well, be careful what you, you ask for. <laughs> <laughs> so, but before we go to him, because that's the guy in New Zealand, right? Yeah. Before we go to him, I just want to ask you, because a lot of, the, uh, the people in our podcast audience 
are very interested in near-death experiences. And I know that you had a near-death experience when your daughter was born. I don't know what you saw or how that, how that experience impacted you. And didn't you have two near-death experiences? Yeah, for sure. And I would say they would contribute to your abilities because usually people come back with something um, magnified within them or with a knowing in some way. Actually, I wouldn't say that was true for me. Definitely the knowing was. Uh, I wouldn't say my experience was amplified, like my singing gift was amplified by this stage because it was already in that state of uh, experiencing quite a lot of power, you know. Um, you know, my near-death experience, I was, I was 40 hours in labor with my daughter and because of my hip condition, uh, my hips went were so swollen, my legs were so swollen and my cervix wasn't dilating at all. And um, they wanted to give me drugs and things and I, I didn't want to do it. I've been holding this pain for 40 hours by oming. Wow. Now I didn't have the full access to om that I have now, but I used that power to hold the pain. And, and then finally, my support crew had a couple of wives around me at the time. They said, give up, Prue, just give up, just surrender, stop trying to hold the pain. So I did. And I, I started to kind of go out of the body, you know, and um, I saw my soul of my child, you know, and I would come and it was like I was coming out and in, out and in of the body, you know, and I was just like, just drop out for some time of, uh, and then I would, a contraction happened, I would come back in again. And uh, it, was, it was very, it was a very powerful experience because I really understood very much that I needed to die. Something inside of me needed to die. And it was the next, I would say for me, what this death was about was the next level of my ego. That's what died in me through that birth. And eventually I came, at one point they, they were calling me back into the body and, and then they were saying, come back, come back. You have to push this baby out or you're both gonna die, you know? And so I remember coming back and zoom into the body, you know? And then this almighty power came through me. So actually now that you're saying this, I, I, now that I'm saying this, I realize I experienced the absolute feminine power of the universe and it roared through me just like you know and I know other women have had this experience in birth too you know where you're so much bigger when you are unified with this enormous feminine principle and my baby birthed and I made it through you know and this kind of opening I think it became very much the basis of showing women how to totally let go of the control of the mind no matter how much pain they're in you know physical emotional it doesn't matter how much pain to let go of control and totally go into the deepest surrender and when they do that they have access to this infinite infinite power and the voice is the bridge between the soul and the body and that's, that's what I truly, truly discovered was that when I used my voice in a totally wild, unsurrendered, I mean, surrendered way where I'm just not, I'm not there controlling it. 
this power that came to me was enormous. It was the same power I had touched in the healing ceremony, but I hadn't cognized it the same way because this time I was alone, right? And um, this also became very much a part of the practice because for women, because what I realized was that woman on the planet, her, this pure feminine power she carries to birth life has been shackled, right? And her throat has become shackled because for a lot of women, our sexuality gets shut down. And, we're, can, and people go to control us. And people control us. So we have experiences like rape, uh, mm -hmm. use, you mm -hmm. know, and in this moment, we come up out of the body, the throat closes, we can't speak, we're as cold as ice, right? So consciousness is just barely there. It's there because it's watching, but it cannot do anything. It's frozen, right? There's a link that is broken and she cannot say anything or she can, it's muffled, like, you know, like, like this, you know? And um, so I found working with thousands of women around, because I've worked with women from 63 countries now over these last 25 years, that it's a consistent pattern, this shackling of the throat, this shutting down of the throat energy where her sexuality, which is a flow, as I said, it comes up through the body, up through the vagina, up through the yoni, through, and this is a flow of love. When she gets assaulted in any way, whether it's verbally, physically, but she's in that deep state of fear, this closure happens here and the closure happens in the sexual body as well, right? And they're totally intertwined. And it often happens also for women in birth. That's the other place in the birthing room where she is silenced, you know, where she's drugged. Uh, and through the birthing process. So this full power that she's supposed to have access to is silenced. And so um, birth is often induced or the cervix uh, opens in a, in a way that's induced or she does it more silently or um, she doesn't experience this full cosmic opening that she's supposed to experience in the birthing space because she doesn't feel safe. A woman cannot experience this power if she does not feel safe because this power opens in the power of presence of love only, right? A woman's pure, orgasmic, sensual, uh, big nature, and I'll call that her big nature because she's much bigger than just the small conditioned woman we've become. This energy only opens in the presence of love, you know, when it's opening through the body. It can open when we're out of the body, right, with, through near-death experience, but then you're not experiencing it through the body. There's a disconnection. When you in the body and the sexual energy uh, opens in the body or the birthing energy opens in the body, she starts to understand who is she. She's a big woman. woman. I remember you and you can really understand how people try to shut that down because it frightens them, especially the patriarchy. You could really Absolutely. understand that. Absolutely. And so you can see, you know, that conditioning globally on the planet, this, this shutting mm -hmm. of this energy. And I'm by no means a feminist, but I know the truth of that. So my 
position in the world is not to fight against it. It's actually to show women the key to switch that or open that energy back up in the body so that they start to experience the sensuality, the sexuality, the power of that ah, that big ah, that big open kind of wild woman that, that's been made very into a good girl, very small, very nice, you know, very conditioned, how she holds herself, how she behaves, where she puts the focus of her energy, you know, constantly into her image, etc. It's all part of shrinking that big uh, feminine nature down, you and know. And actually taking away her power. Taking, and, taking away her power. So I want to ask you, speaking of power, because now I, I want to go from that near-death experience to this New Zealand experience that you had, because that opened you up even more. And that got you, you that really got you in touch with women's sensual nature yes. and their inner essence. So that developed even more. And then I want to go to uh, your high-low overtone singing, because by now our listeners are like, wow. So tell us a little bit more about that experience and how that evolved for you. I won't, I won't stay on that for too long, but just, just to give people a window, you know, I remember I, I was calling this prayer. I'm saying, please send right. me my love. He who can see me, who can see my big feminine nature, you know? Well, <laughs> it was yet another extraordinary experience. I, you know, I told you I was very sick at this time and my back collapsed. One of my discs popped out. I couldn't walk. I went to a friend and he oh was back in country. And I, I just made it to his door and I said, I can't walk. And he said, okay, Peru, lay on my couch. You're going to be here for three days. And he worked on me every day with needles, with acupuncture needles, opening all the meridians, taking all of the inflammation out. I had a lot of fungus in me, obviously, but I didn't even know about it at this stage. And... Uh, at the, end on, at the end of three days, he said to me, Herquad, there's this guy I want you to meet. He's a really extraordinary man. He's had a realization of total like of who he is. He's also had the realization of the divine feminine. And uh, he's really mastered something very powerful. And by the way, he also has more than one partner. And I thought, oh God. Oh God, here you go again. <laughs> And this guy was from New Zealand, so you were going, right? He was from England, and at this stage, I was, I was in Australia. And um, I said, okay, to my friend, I, because I trusted my friend. I said, okay, I'll, I'll meet him, you know? And uh, he was giving some talk in, the, in that city. He'd just flown in. And uh, I'm there with a hot water bottle on my back, and uh, I'm just in the healing process. I'm quite vulnerable. And I walk in. And this man is, is at the door and he turns and he looks at me and he says, Perakwa, you've come. And he knew your name. And I was like, how does he know my name? You know, <laughs> did my friend tell me, tell him about me? And then uh, later that I had been in a spiritual festival, right? I was performing in England at the time this is years before, two years before, three years before. And I was on stage actually with my husband at the time, the Native American, we were chanting together. I had a band on stage. And this man was in the audience. This enlightened man was in the audience. 
And, uh, and some of his women that were around him had met me in the toilet. Now, I don't know any connection between the women or him or anything. He doesn't exist for me yet, right? One of the women came to me and said, we listen to your music and it's amazing. So by this stage, I'm back already out in the world. I've made a whole new kind of music about consciousness, about sensuality, about restoring this connection to the body, to love, to the earth, etc. And they're listening to this music. She says, we listen to your music. It's amazing. Thank you for being the voice of Mother Earth. We're so grateful, you know. And... Um, Apparently, in that moment in the audience where I was singing, this voice of the mother had said to him, she will come to you. And when she comes, you are to take her on, right? Wow. And he turned around and he said, Perkwa, you've come. That's what he meant. But I don't know any of this yet, right? And again, I meet this man and in the break, I'm chatting with him, you know. And uh, it's as though I've kind of, I get the same sensation as my first husband. Like I've always known this man somehow. Like I know everything about him somehow. And um, at the end of his evening, he says to me, you know, I can take that pain out of your heart because I had a lot of pain in me. I was physically in pain. I was in the pain of having left this relationship, etc. And uh, he hugged me and he didn't take the pain out of my heart. And I thought, okay, you charlatan, you know. <laughs> <laughs> nice pickup line, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but the next day he rang me and he said, I'm inviting you to lunch. And then I said, okay. And he said, actually, I'm not just inviting you to lunch. I'm inviting you to love. I said, okay. <laughs> pretty direct you know <laughs> now I live in a pretty wacky world so not much phases me at this stage in my life and now I'm about 32 right and um, so I have this lunch with him and I end up sleeping with him the first night which I would never normally do but this calling is so deep in me and remember my back's still quite sore I'm yeah and in spite of all that right <laughs> right all of that you know and uh, he makes love to me in the way I've never experienced before and uh, the next day my pain was almost gone and my body was shaking from side to side like this for about two days and my kundalini had woken up and so tell that, everyone what kundalini is explain to the, them yeah, so basically kundalini is that life force, that, that sexual life force that sits at the root of the body. Some say it's at the root of the spine, but I think it's at the root of the entire, you know, of the sexual center of the body. And when it opens, you experience enormous orgasmic energy, like the orgasm just goes and goes and goes, and God, it doesn't stop the bliss, the pleasure, and the body is shaking, every cell is spinning, you know, in this very cosmic way where orgasms are going on for so, so, so long. And then often, even after lovemaking happens, and it doesn't necessarily happen in lovemaking, by the way, it can happen in meditation as well. Um, this energy just keeps claiming you. It's like you just keep spinning in this beautiful elixir of orgasmic energy. And it's very powerful. It wakes up your consciousness, your mind. You can see more clearly and there's so much love, you know, so much love. And this is what woke up in me. And 
again, I was in this situation where something in me said, run. <laughs> After he left, he went back to, he went to New Zealand, I think, to tour over there. And something said to me, don't go there, don't go there, just, you know. But the, the attraction was so, so strong that I had to go there. And we ended up coming together. So we were together for four years. So I'm kind of cut the short story short now. Of course, he had more than one partner. He's very open about that. And he had um, children to two of those partners. And, um, and he was what you call a tantric master? Yeah, I would say that that's, that's a way you could call that. When somebody realizes the great feminine principle, and we have to understand that when we speak of the great feminine principle, the universe is not separated, it is unified, but there are the polarities of feminine and masculine. And she is totally unified with him. And he is totally unified with her and they become one. That's what we call one, right? right. The, and that's the whole point of being in the body where we have the polarity inside, he and she, right and left side of the body, right? The upper and the lower, the heart, the vagina, etc. So we built this way. We built from, you know, the play of the cosmos, you know, of he, masculine principle, and she, the feminine principle. And then we get to experience it in the body with a man and with a woman. And the point of that is to bring that into such a state of love and union and acceptance, because let's face it, we're messy human beings. You know, we have a lot of conditioning and rubbish inside of us. The point is that that love transforms each other's pain, suffering, grief, etc., into such a state where we understand that we are unified inside and with each other. And that's what happened for me, I would say, in this love with this man. And then the next thing happened for me. So tantric is somebody who has had this state of total unification. They understand that they live in a very sensual world and it is flowing through the body and they know how to direct that energy through the body. Some people can direct it towards other people. Some is just for themselves, you know, some is towards their partner. It's, it works in different ways, depending on, again, the quality, uh, the qualities that people are birthed in with how that energy um, manifests. But it's the unified energy of he and she, right? And right. It's, it's in love. It's in life force, it's power, it's pure power. So um, because of these years, you know, of again, going through the next level. <laughs> <laughs> As if I, I thought that I'd gone through it all with my past marriage with these women, but no, there was more healing for me to do. You know, there was more conditioning for me to undo in myself. And eventually I, I really came to this point of total love and acceptance of these women, of him. And it, it came to this point where it's not about them anymore. It's not about being with this man or being burning through this conditioning with this woman. It's about coming totally into this union inside where there's so much love and so much beauty. And I realized I did not need to even be with this man and that his pathway was different because my pathway was the pathway of following that vision to help many, many people. And I could not do it whilst I was with this man.
because but he's things he taught you, but things he taught you and things you experienced with him, like opened the door for you to what you eventually were to become. Right. So he was he was an important person on your who had been presented to you on your path. Uh, that's exactly correct. It, it was like, again, he was another key for me. You know, I knew what I was calling for and life kept sending all of the keys that I needed. And you maybe can understand from just listening to a little bit of the story that it wasn't easy. You know, it was like on the one hand, like with him, I was experiencing incredible, profound states of cosmic love making and um, beauty and just my feminine energy just flowing like water, you know. But on the other hand, it was really, really difficult, you know, being in this multiple relationship and it's certainly not something that I'm an advocate of it was just something that it was part of my journey because my journey was how can I help women you know eventually first of all it was for the voice right how can I help to heal people but then it grew deeper as I experienced more of my own healing and I got to see more and more through the years of working with women how can we help women transform this ugliness, this cruelty that she carries inside, this grief she carries inside, this pain she carries inside, to be more herself and to be that inside that woman who is in her beauty, she's connected to her love, she loves her body, you know? This is a transformation. And that has to be a challenge because a lot of women do not love their bodies. And they're, conditioned, and they're conditioned to feel that they are lacking because of whatever flaws that they have. And then a lot of time, and, and listen to attractive man that's exacerbated because you're supposed to look a certain way and be built a certain way, correct? Exactly, exactly. And I started to then see the viruses that have gotten inside of woman's body. And those viruses um, have been very carefully crafted to get inside her body. For example, this feeling of we're not enough and therefore we need to always be doing and buying, doing and buying things, you know, to make ourselves better, uh, cosmetics, um, creams, uh, working out at the gym, you know, clothes, um, anything, procedures, facial surgeries, God knows what women do to themselves. Why? Because there's this virus inside of them that says you're not enough. And it's constantly, it's like, it's, right. like she's like a dominatrix in, dominating in her mind, constantly telling her she's not enough, she's not enough, she's not. And that is fostered by the world consumer economy. As long as women feel this way, Women are going to be 70% of the consumers of all these goods that are made on this planet to keep her buying. And if women don't realize they have this virus inside of themselves, then they are at the mercy of a very powerful machine. And that is the consumerist machine, you know, that's constantly selling to her every time she goes into the world in any way, shape or form, switches her phone on, um, meets somebody, goes into the street. She's constantly being messaged, you are not enough, you are not enough, you are not enough, you are not enough, and you need more, you need more. 
more. And it's, it's this thing that makes a very unsettled inside, you know, and uh, there's no peace inside, not this feeling of like, this is what it feels like when a woman is really rested and accepting and in love. She feels her body and there's a sense of, ah, so happy to be in my body, love in my body, you know. There's a sense of peace in there. And she'll feel inside herself this movement of time, this cyclical hormonal movement in her. And she'll see how that hormonal movement will affect her emotional world. And sometimes she'll feel open and beautiful. And other times she'll feel, I just want to be with myself. And other times she will feel like so much power and energy. And other times she'll feel so tired and she just wants to rest. And this is this natural hormonal cycle that is built into her body. And it's not wrong, you know. And, um, and so it's not like building a perfect image of woman. It's understanding she has this love, but she has this cycle moving through her all the time. And she's changing every minute. Every minute she's changing her perspective, she, her seeing, her knowing, her feeling of life. It's constantly moving and changing. And sometimes it's deep and still. And sometimes it's erratic and sometimes it's powerful. This is woman's nature you know, and um, so this virus that we carry inside, which is just one of many, <laughs> um, but it's one of the dominant ones, is one that has to be transformed. And part of that transformation is she must reclaim herself. And part of reclaiming herself is reclaiming her own voice, because why? That is the bridge, the vibrational bridge between the soul and the body. If a woman does not restore this connection, it's like she's not rooted in the body fully. Something is, uh, she, she feels too unrooted, unstable in herself, you know. And of course, the point of deep, deep lovemaking or orgasmic lovemaking is that it roots her in the body. But a lot of women can't get to that place because this is stuck because the sexual energy has been blocked and locked so we're up. talking about the voice, right? We're getting to the voice. That's so right. Through the voice, you have a healing power in your voice that heals women. Yeah. And it's a high, it's a unique high, low overtone singing. So can you segue to that so we can understand what that is that you do to help women yeah. uh, open up their open up their immobilized throats? Yeah, absolutely. So this is how it worked for me. First of all, I um, started to compose a lot of music that helps to rebuild this connection to the to the body, to love, to life, you know, to dance. Um, because it's a very important part of woman experiencing her body and men as well, actually, uh, through the dance. But the voice is that vibrational key. And for me, first of all, you know, I spoke about the experience of having that energy rising up through, the, through my body, through the earth, and this powerful vibration. Many people called me the voice of Mother Earth because 
Why, where did that come from? It came from people sitting in the audience or being in my workshop and, the, and them getting direct sensation through their feet, through their vagina, through their womb and the heart opening and flowering and the whole body shaking sometimes and goosebumps and flooding of tears and things as they're listening to the music that I've you know, created. I have 10 music CDs. So I've created an enormous body of music to support people who are waking up. Wow. You know? We're gonna find out all about that too soon to find out how they can access them. But then the next level happened for me and I first tasted it when I was about, I think 26, when I was with that first husband. And um, I had this uh, psychic come to me one day say to me, you know, you have carried this healing voice throughout all your ancestry and you had it very powerfully when you were in the time of Atlantis, which is a previous cycle uh, on the planet where there was a civilization a lot more advanced than where we are now. A lot of your followers know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, and, uh, and she said to me, you know, this voice had the power to sing so high, it could kind of split glass or it could shake illness out of the body. And you're going to have access to that again, you know. Well, by the time I was about 27, I was, I was praying on the mountain, I was singing on a mountain, and my voice did this very strange thing. It was like I was singing one note, and then the next note appeared on top of it, like this. So here's the first note. Ooh, right, you just hear one note. Ooh, ooh. the second one now yeah, yeah so this is then it, that was when the first like split happened and I thought I was only only I was hearing and I thought I was making it up but I went to my sister wives at the time and I said can you hear this and they were like yes 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 we hear it it's amazing like well I I, I called my husband at the time and then uh, he said to me Paraguay I forbid you to use this voice you're not allowed to use this voice you're you know you're you don't have the power for this you're not ready for this I forbid you to use it. And uh, oh my! <laughs> you know, it was really devastating, and I was so angry about it. But I put it away. I just pushed it down. You know, like okay, all right, I have to. I have to DJ, you know. Well, I put that voice away for about fifteen years, more or less. That exploration of that voice, put it that way, and then it started to wake up again. And uh, first I woke up with a vibration of OM and it woke up in connection to my meditation. So I go into deep states of meditation. And then I would start to sing as I came out of these meditations. And this voice started to split again. I was like, wow, there it is, you know? And, um, and then, then the next extraordinary thing happened for me. A friend of mine, um, and he made, he made some of my music videos, very talented man. Uh, he was very disturbed, very, very disturbed man in his psyche. He'd done far too many psychotropic drugs over the years and his mind was not in good shape. And uh, he ended up, um, I was supposed to see him this evening and he ended up jumping off a building. He committed mm. suicide. And uh, his wife told me that he was very disturbed and he felt he had a demon inside and he didn't, he was so afraid of it that he didn't want to hurt his wife, et cetera. And so 
this whatever it was inside that convinced him that he should end his life and he did um, but when I looked into his soul, I could see there was a fight going on because it was right after that I got this call, right after he jumped. And I could see there was a battle going on inside of himself for his soul, you know, like that there was something there that was very dark and very ugly. Um, so I went in again into these deep meditation states and I started to sing for his soul. And this voice opened up and it split like into these very high overtones and it started to shake and spin. And there were like two or three voices spinning. And then all of a sudden it just, I, I, it's a very hard thing to explain, but suddenly I felt this, the soul break free, you know? And I understood that he was free and his wife called me. She said, what just happened? I just feel this enormous love, you know? And, um, and that was when that voice really woke up. And so that was maybe about five or six years ago. And then I started to, the, the, this voice wanted to express compositionally, you know, so I started to compose composition. So I'd come out of meditation and I understood that this voice had the power to open different centers in the body as well as open the connection to the soul. So I started to make compositions with this, this voice. And I went into the studio. I would just get the engineer just to hit play for me and I would just let it come. I wasn't, um, I wasn't orchestrating. I was just letting the voice intuit itself. And uh, I created a whole composition to open up the heart energy. I created a whole composition to open up the womb energy. So, which is very deep, powerful, low, undulating overtones, like second, third voice, moving, moving, moving like wow. this. And, um, <clears throat> and then those, <clears throat> those compositions wanted to um, be used by people. So I created practices and I merged, started merging the practices I'd been creating over the years with these uh, voices. And uh, so they became active practices like, like meditations, but there's some movement with them. Sometimes there's singing with them where the person who's in the practice uh, is singing with them. And then I thought, okay, they need to be accessible to a lot of people. So I made online courses um, some years ago to open up the womb, to open up the heart. And already I had been working with another aspect of the voice. And you know, I spoke about unshackling the, the sexual energy, the energy of the womb, of the throat, that a lot of women carry this grief inside, right? And um, so I created soundtracks where using my voice and music, I would take people deep into the, into the body and with the practice as well, where they could go down into the womb and meet that pain and use their own voice and my voice singing them with them to release that pain, to release that grief that they could not release in the moment often because they didn't have the right support and they didn't have the safe environment or the right guide to be able to help right. them. And you are, you're basically a guide. You're a guide yeah. to help them heal. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's profound what happens for people to release that grief, you know, through those practices. So I actually have, have a course on my site. Well, would you, how about describing some of your courses and events? Because you're yeah. coming here. So let's have people and know where to find you. 
Yeah, for sure. And and then just just one aspect of that healing voice. Of course, I'm a performer as well. I'm a, I'm an artist, so I brought that voice to the concert stage, and then I started to marry the practice with that voice. So I would do a concert, say a three-hour concert. I'm currently doing, um, where I'll half of it I'll be singing songs, and that's where people are experiencing a lot of opening in their body, goosebumps, tears, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, a lot of realization. Second half, I'll take them into a meditation. It's an active meditation where they open the heart, and I'm singing them with these high harmonic overtones, you know, and the whole heart, and people open, and people go into these deep deep states of meditation whether they can know how to meditate or not is irrelevant because i use wonderful technology to support i'll use surround sound sometimes i have six thousand people uh, in a concert hall you know going into these states together you know and it's really profound so i have two ways in which i work with the practices in the voice one is the online platform where there's like about 14 courses, I think, available for women. There's one for men, but I'll get back to that in a minute. But um, available for women. And it addresses the whole, everything I've spoken about, it addresses all of it and more. There's a course on how to heal and open up your um, sensuality, your orgasmic energy to release that pain stuck from sexual traumas and things. This course to release that grief and to bring uh, that sense through that grief course back into total union where the heart opens so big that you start to understand there is a big love, this huge intelligent love that is woven through our planet, our entire universe and through my heart. And that love is the thing that connects me to all that I've loved, all the people I've loved and lost, all the people I love in my life. You know, when that heart energy is wide open, I understand that I'm woven from this fabric of love. And then you start to learn how to communicate, you know, through other realms with this love to life itself. That's a very powerful for your audience that grief course is a very very powerful um, course but it's woven through many many of my courses because it's fundamental healing with the voice of actually opening this channel getting this life channel from the sexual center all the way through to the soul and get it flowing again so it has its purpose there's a course for example on how to wake up your calling because if how to calling your life path you know, what you're here to I do. find your purpose, yes. Yes, very important for us because if we don't have that, then we feel like we're a little bit a boat on a, without, a, you know, we're on the sea and we're a little... Um, I have courses on how to deal with different emotions, anger, fear, etc. I have um, courses for how to deal with that good girl that virus of not enoughness you know uh, there's one song for example I have on on YouTube called I'm not a good girl and uh, <laughs> it's a very powerful song for women to listen to to experience this sense of will 
Because if our, you know, I spoke earlier about will as a child and how I worked that will up through that experience. Many of us, because of the pressure on the world right now and our personal lives, our will center gets low. When we are very hurtful to our souls or when we're in grief, our will center gets low. The thymus energy gets very weak, just here. And this, the thymus is very much about that passion for life, our immunity and all of that. And the heart that says, yes, there is love and there is goodness here. That all gets very weak when we're in grief and sadness. Well, you're or, just ex exactly expressing why it's important for a woman to heal that grief, right? Absolutely, because it, it happens on so many levels. And grief is hidden. You know, sometimes it's about a birth where we uh, had a very disempowered birth or we aborted a baby, or we lost a child through miscarriage, or we lost somebody we loved, you know, or all of that often gets stored in the womb and in the heart. And this grief has to be released from the body or it creates closure and heaviness. And then that is the next step of that is often sickness. Yeah. You know, yeah. physical sickness. Absolutely. And then that is so it's so important that we take responsibility for healing that deep pain that deep grief in the body you know so that we can get that flow of love flowing back and the flow of love keeps you young you know i'm 52 and i look what you oh my goodness i do practice every day i do feminine meditation which is also on my site and, uh, and I've been through all of these kind of practices that I've created because that's how they got here, you know? And this is what keeps you connected to that youthful fabric of life, you know? So it's very, very important that we deal with this energy. When we deal with our grief and our pain, we are, our soul becomes much more connected through the body. So the body becomes more bright because the soul is infinitely bright, you know? So this, the body and the soul united becomes more bright, more alive. Doesn't mean we don't go through hell. Doesn't mean we don't go through some emotional chaos. You doesn't mean life doesn't challenge us, but the resource that we have inside when this healing has taken place grows infinitely. So, yeah, so this is all, there's a whole platform on my course. Um, on when my they go to find you, Paraquai, do they look under your name or do you have a, um, uh, a phrase that they go for? Is it, I mean, I, you know, how, what is your website? What is the listing of your website? The website is paraquai.com. And Paraquai is spelled, first spelled like Peru, the country, and Kwa, like Iroquois Indian. Right. Right. French spelling.com. And they'll see there's so much inside the site because there's the music side, there's 10 CDs there for all kinds of things for birthing music, birthing babies, making love, uh, for dancing and things. The other side of the site is that there's about 14 online courses there. And uh, there's one course there that's for men and for women. And uh, that course I created as a response to COVID when people went to deep anxiety. And I used this healing voice and this uh, particular practice to raise people's will center up, get them out of anxiety and fear, and then restore that healthy flow using those, that special voice. That, that course is a 15 minute course. Imagine you can turn up, 
hundreds of thousands of people have been through this course. It turns that deep kind of painful, low, fearful, anxious state into one of, ah, I'm here, life is okay, life is good, you know, in 15 minutes, because I've had to, over time, learn how to compress time so that my practice are efficient in a short period of time, I can switch the psyche and the body connection in a very quick time frame. Wow, that's incredible. I wanted to ask you also, um, I know you're in Thailand now. Um, mm -hmm. So when are you planning to come to North America? <laughs> I don't think I'll be there until next year now, um, for sure. It, it will be late year, I think, before I make it into North America again. So I'm, I'm on a bit of a world cycle at the you moment. Do you have any idea where in North America? We know you've been in New Mexico. Are you going yeah. to be touring all over? You don't know I, yet? I don't, I don't know yet. We're just um, building that connection. And, um, you know, normally I go to the bigger cities if I'm going to go New somewhere. York, Chicago. Yeah that kind of I imagine that will be the pathway that I tread when I when I make it back into America again it'll be very exciting for us all to uh to enjoy you and to and to heal with you I, really I'm, truly I'm Thank very you. excited in the meantime yeah. really get so much from from meeting me online because I think one thing I really learned was being a live performer being a live facilitator in the workshop room I had to learn how to translate that vibration across the energetic field of the internet. And that's something I also mastered in, in learning how to work with this modern world, you know? Like I did say, you're a remarkable woman, <laughs> and um, I, my, I also want to ask you, because you, you've stated that you believe that meditation can help a woman find joy in life. Why is that? Um, I, I think... You know, for me, it's about when we come into meditation, it's not, for me, it's not just meditation. What I created was feminine meditation because so much of the meditation we've been taught on the planet, whether it's through the yogis or um, enlightenment pathway, is about really coming up through the body and going beyond the body. But for me, feminine meditation is about coming down into the body and really experiencing the body and releasing these blockages. Voice is a part of feminine meditation for me. So it's about releasing the emotion, the pain that's stuck in the body, and then dropping into a state where the body becomes so soft and so fluid that she starts to experience how big she is. And when she starts to experience how big she is, she then experiences a sense of enormous beauty, enormous love, peace inside. And from that peace, there's a flow. This feminine energy is not just still, it's always flowing. Look at our nature, it's always flowing. That's our nature as women, we are flowing. So feminine meditation is about getting that very juicy flow of love in the body. And it makes you young. It makes you connected to your body, to love, to that inner knowing, that intuition, you know? So this is the point for me about the practices I created for feminine, not just about going beyond the body, 
That will naturally happen when you get very big, but about this reverence and this acceptance of all the sickness and awfulness that's in the body and releasing it so it can come into healing. That certainly would bring a person joy. I could just, I could certainly imagine that. Paraguay, you are a privilege and a pleasure to introduce. My dear, I really, really enjoyed you, your generosity of heart, your brightness. Thank you. Of Thank you. We see each other and it's, it's, it's a blessing. And it really is. And it's such a pleasure to share you with everyone on our, in our podcast audience. I'm, I'm very thrilled to have you here. Women from 63 countries have experienced huge personal healing breakthroughs through your courses and your workshops. And now you will be bringing your amazing gifts to North America. Please let me know because I can let people know about that. And as far as I can see, you're a luminous light shining bright for all of us. And I want to thank you from my heart for this unforgettable interview today. And here's a loving reminder. Here's a loving reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all grief and rebirth podcast episodes on ireneweinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And if you're watching on YouTube, and you will want to see Paraqua, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe below so you'll never miss an episode. Thank you again, Paraqua. As I like to say, to be continued, many blessings, and bye for now. And to be continued. Thank you. Mm-hmm.